I'm excited about this series that we've been in, and let me start off asking this question. What if we took things a little more seriously in life? Because I don't know about you, but there are some things that I just don't spend a whole lot of time focusing on. I don't spend a whole lot of time thinking on. For instance, one of those things are the instructions that come in the box. Do y'all do this? Uh, how many of you, 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 you buy a piece of furniture from Ikea, you get a playset from Target, you get some Legos, you get it home, and you lay everything out, and you think to yourself, I got this. I don't need the instructions. And I do this every time. And, and every time I do this, what I got at the end of it is a mess because, I, you know, I, I got all these leftover pieces. And sometimes you look at this and, like, after it's all said and done... You've got, like, I've got all these screws left over, and I'm thinking to myself, like, I can understand having two extra, but why do I have 20, right? Like, this thing is going to fall apart for sure. It'll be fine. But let's be honest. It's really better to follow the instructions that we have in life, right? I think we can all agree. Whatever that is, whatever we purchase, whatever we get, when it just comes to life in general, it just so happens that God has blessed us with instructions, okay? He has given us a way to experience a more blessed life. The problem is we're not always good at following the instructions. And, and not only that, we don't even know what the instructions are. Sometimes we don't know that they exist. And, and where we get ourselves in trouble is when we try to do life on our own, when we try to do it without his help without his guidance, and it doesn't work well. So, so the big question for this new series is this. What, what if we took God's instructions seriously, right? Like, what would things be like if people not only knew what God wanted, but we actually did it, like we actually followed through? And it just so happens that God gave us some of the most well-known instructions of all time called the Ten Commandments. And ultimately, this is a great guideline for life. And so each week in this series, what we're doing is we're diving into a couple of these. And we're talking about how life, if you remember and you were here last week, we're talking about how much better life will be, like how our lives will be blessed if we lived into God's will. So truth is, God gave us these Ten Commandments. He gave it to us a long time ago. And I'm going to tell you this, they still hold up today. Okay? These are not just fads. These are not just things that are Old Testament that we don't have to worry about because we're New Testament people. We're living in the time of Christ. Christ has come. Christ changed things up. We don't really apply what was in the... That, that's not the case. These are still just as true, just as relevant today. So if that's, if that's what we believe, then it's important that we know them. It's important that we understand why God gave them to us. So last week, you know, I started this whole series. Before we get into each individual one, I gave you a little quiz to see how many you could remember. And we started off by saying that these are not just supposed to be a bunch of rules, which is what we look at. When we look at the Ten Commandments, we look at them a bunch of rules and regulations. We look at God as this, you know, this, this kind of like, you know, fatherly figure or something up in heaven just kind of shaking his head, looking at us and giving us a bunch of no, 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 and thou shalt not. Don't do this. Don't do that. Like coming down heavy like this sheriff in town looking to bring down the law on everybody. But the reason that God says no is so that he can say yes to something better. Maybe God knows more than we do, than we give him credit for. 
Maybe he knows what's best for us. So maybe the only reason that he says no to something like adultery so that he can give his yes to a better marriage, right? A better family life. And that completely makes sense, right? It's like God is saying, because I love you, because I created you, because I want what's best for you, do not commit adultery. Stay true to your spouse, right? Because I love you, God goes on, and he's like, because I love you, because I want what's best for you, don't put other things in first place in your life. Don't create idols. Don't worship anything else. Stay true to me so that we can have a great relationship. You you see... It's God's way of saying, you believe in me, you trust in me, then follow me. Follow me. If you remember last week, it's God's way of saying, walk this way, walk with me. And if you do, life will be better. And if you don't, it's like throwing away the instructions. It's not going to be as good. So... If we run against God's spiritual guidelines without a doubt, life is not going to be what we expect it to be. Not what he wants it to be either. So with all that being said, what we're going to do is we're going to dive in. Last week was setting up the Ten Commandments, and today we're going to dive into the first two commandments. And as we get started, I think it's important to understand that there's a purpose in the order of these. Like, I don't think that God just gave these haphazardly. God intentionally put the first one first, and the second one really complements the first. So... Let's read this through together. It comes from Exodus chapter 20, and it says this. You must have no other God but me. You must not make for yourself an idol of any kind or an image of anything in the heavens or on the earth or in the sea. You must not bow down to them. You must not worship them. For I, the Lord your God, am a jealous God who will not tolerate your affection for other gods. Love this. Our God. He wants us to know that he is a jealous God. He wants to be the most important in our life. God is saying, put me first. Put me first. Don't idolize anything in life. Don't put anything else on that throne in your life. What do you have as first place? God says, I want that position, right? I don't want to play second fiddle to anyone or anything. And if you notice in that verse, he he says that the word for other gods is this little G God. And it's plural because there are a lot of other little G gods in our life, but there's only one big G God that deserves to sit on the throne. But what we do is we have a lot of idols. We got a lot of little G gods running around trying to take that place in our lives. You know, when you read the Old Testament, you'll, you'll find a lot of idol worship in the Old Testament. Honestly, you, you find that the Israelites really struggled with this. For instance, there was a god named Baal, who was the god of sex. There was Mammon, who was the god of money. There was Melech, who was the god of violence and war. Idols were pretty common back then. In fact, when Moses went up on the, ten, uh, up on the mountaintop to receive the Ten Commandments, when he had his time with God, he was gone for so long that the Israelites started to get worried. They started to get anxious. They started to get upset, and they were like, what if something happened to Moses? We don't know what's going on. We don't know where he went. Did he leave us? And so what they did was they created a false god. Did you know this? Like Moses goes on the mountaintop to be with God. And meanwhile, meanwhile, they're down there forming 
a golden statue of something else to worship. It's crazy to think. Like they, they just came out of Egypt. God has done all these miraculous things. It really hasn't been that long. And yet they've already forgotten the big G God. And they're worshiping a little G God instead. They've already put something else on the throne in their life. And so when Moses gets back, he finds them worshiping this golden calf. And he loses it. And he goes biblical on them. Okay? He gets so upset. He throws the Ten Commandments down. In fact, what he does is he takes that golden calf that they have created. And he, he burns it up. He, he, he chips it all up. He grinds it into dust. And then he mixes it in water. And he makes them drink it. I'm not kidding. How many of you, be honest, you had to, you, at a time in your life, you had soap in your mouth? Let me see. You had, they made you put soap in your mouth? Think about what you did? Yep. This was Moses' way of going, I want you to think about what you've done. And then go sit in the corner until I say come out. Right? You need to think about what you do. I can't believe this. It's just, it's just a reminder of how often and how quickly we can forget about the big G God. How easy it is to put other things on that throne in our life. And the Israelites are a prime example of this. It's in Exodus 32. You should go home and read it. Anyway, idol worship. Huge problem. Huge problem back then. And I'm afraid it's still a problem today. Obviously, we don't have the golden idols like Baal today, but we do give a lot of attention to movies, celebrities that idolize sex, violence, money. We put a lot of our possessions in that high place in life. And really, it's the same thing, honestly. In fact, it's very common for us just to get sucked into believing that these things, these other things in life that we see are more important. Like, this is the most important thing in life. Or we'll say this, this is the most important thing right now. Like, we're in the season of life. You know, we got this going on, or we got this, or we're trying to get this. You know, this is what's most important now. And it's like, you know, we pick and choose in life what little G God we want to place on that throne. You know, for this season, we're going to focus on this. And for that season, we'll focus on this. Where's God? Like, where, where is God in the middle of all that? You see, when anything else is first in my life and it's not God, it's an idol. And honestly, some people put their idols on the fields on the baseball diamonds and football fields and everything else that takes over in our life. Sometimes sometimes people park their idols in their garage. They dock their idols at Lake Harding. They put their idols in a safety deposit box. Any, anything, anything can be an idol. And honestly, sometimes what happens is that we can even place good things in idols. In fact, in fact, in fact... We'll even make good things in idols so that we can justify it being in first place, right? On the throne. Like, well, it's my family. I'm not saying your family shouldn't be important. And I'm not saying what you do for your family should not be important. But where is God? Where is God in the mix of everything? So in Deuteronomy 4, Moses gives this reminder. He says this. He says, God, God says, for your own good, do not sin by making for yourself an idol of any form at all. Okay, for your own good, do not make yourself an idol of anything. Why would God say this? Like, for your own good. What does God know about idols that maybe we don't know? 
Like, what is God trying to teach us? Number one, here's what he wants to teach us. If you've got your message notes, let's go ahead and fill in some blanks. Um, what do idols do? What does God know? Why does he put this rule? Why is this so important that it's number one and number two? For those of you that are online, uh, we're grateful that you are worshiping with us. You can find the Ridge app and the message notes on there. Number one, idols will disappoint you. They will always disappoint you. They always promise more than they can deliver. Jeremiah 10, 14 says this. People who make idols will be disappointed because their false gods are not alive. Oh, right? You're just going to be dis- They can't do anything for you. Crazy thing is, is that we actually believe that if we wear a certain label, we'll be in a better crowd, or if we buy a certain product, we'll be more successful, or if we drink this alcoholic beverage, we'll have the time of our life, or we wear this type of body spray, we will become so attractive. And let me tell you, after being in youth ministry for so long and riding in a bus full of middle school boys with enough Axe body spray to choke an elephant, I can tell you, Nothing good comes from that. It will disappoint you. (laughs) And me, and your group leader. Listen, for your own good, they never deliver on what they promise in life. They never do. The commercials never deliver on what they want us to idolize. Let me go to one of my favorite movies of all time, The Christmas Story. I must be in the holiday spirit. I don't know. But you remember little Ralphie? He wanted so badly to listen to Little Orphan Annie shows. And he wanted to get that decoder ring. You remember the decoder ring? And then he, he spent all that time and all that effort and cut the box tops and all that stuff. And he sent off for it and he's checking the mail every day. And when it finally came in, he grabs it. He gets the code from the radio. He goes up to the restroom to decode it so he can have his privacy, right? And when he decodes it, what does he find? What does it say? Drink more Ovaltine. He said, it's just a crummy commercial. Are you kidding me? Like, that's what they do though, right? Like, he, he, he wasted all this time, all this effort just to be disappointed by it in the, in the long run. And that's what happens to us. It happens all the time. We get it. We finally get a hold of it. And it's a terrible color. It's the wrong size. Or it doesn't work like it's supposed to. Idols are like that. Anytime you put a person or a thing in that place of God, anytime you expect something to solve all your problems or guarantee your happiness, you're going to be disappointed. And God knows this. And that's why this is important. The second thing God knows is that idols will dominate you. Number two, they will dominate you sooner or later. If you don't watch out, they will end up controlling your life. Focus on these two words in this next verse, 1 Corinthians, it says, You know the way you lived before you were believers. You let yourself be influenced and led away to worship idols. Focus on those two words, influenced and led away, because that's what they do. They will influence you and want to control your life. The word that we have for this today when it comes to idols is addiction. People are addicted to their idols. They're addicted to things like work and sex and sports You know, there's so many other things to be addicted to rather than just alcohol or drugs, which is what we tend to, you know, talk about when we talk about addictions. But idols can be anything, and we become addicted to them, and they want to influence every part of who we are. And not only that, but their aim, when they influence us, is to lead us away. Think about that for a minute. Like, how many times have you seen people neglect their families because of the possibility of a promotion, right? Or how many times have you seen someone sacrifice their integrity 
eating it for the sake of fame? Or how many times have you seen someone get so excited about making a profit that they just throw their convictions out the window? An idol will do this to you. All it does is lead us away from the presence of God. It will try to dominate your life. The third thing it'll do, third thing idols do, God knows this, is it'll deform you. They will deform you. And what I mean by that is that they will change your life. They want to warp who you are. In fact, what they want to do is they want to conform you to the image of everybody else. Like we all want to be the same thing. We all want to fit in with the crowd and everything. It wants to conform you and take away your uniqueness that God has given to you. In fact, the psalmist says this. The psalmist says, the people who make idols, here's what happens. You become useless just like them. You become, you, 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 lose, your, you lose your uniqueness that God created in you. Thing is, when we shape an idol, that idol ends up shaping us. Trust me when I, when I say that you will become like whatever is first place in your life. Y'all remember the uh, story of the rich young ruler? Remember that? Came up to Jesus and he asked Jesus, he's like, what, what do I need to do? I've done everything else. You know, I, th- I think I've got all the rules and regulations down and I think I know what it means to follow you, but Jesus, what do you say for me? And Jesus looks into his life and he says something unique to him and to him only. We don't see this for anybody else, but he looks at this guy and he says, go and sell everything you have, then come to me. And then come follow. Why would he say this to this guy? Because he looked into this guy's heart and he knew this is an idol. This is what's on the throne in your life. I need you to dethrone this because if you don't, it'll only disappoint you. It'll dominate you. It'll deform you. And because it dominated his life so much, you know what happened. He couldn't let it go. So, When it comes to following Christ and living by his instructions, he gives us these instructions so that we can have a better life, so that we can grow closer to him. So let me ask you, what what is it in your life? Let's talk about this for a little bit. We know what idols do, and we know how harmful they can be, and we know that this is good, good instructions for us to live by. So what is, is it in your life that maybe is on the throne that you need to give up? What are you holding on to that is number one and it should not be? If God is telling you to give up something and you can't let go of it, you know what that says? You don't own it, it owns you. Don't let it dominate you. Because if you do, ultimately what happens, anything else we put on this will disappoint us and it will deform our image if we let it. So, if we're going to give up these idols that we tend to put on the throne in our lives, and if we're going to put God in first place, then what does that look like? What what does it mean to put God first? So, look at your message notes. We're going to talk a little bit about different idols and what it means to put God first in each one of these areas. And putting God first, let's start with F, with the letter F, and we're going to talk about finances. Whew! Everybody take a deep breath with me. Are you all ready? Here, just breathe in and breathe out. Good, we're going to talk about money. Everybody ready? Everybody ready? Here we go. All right. We're going to talk about the hardest thing first. I'm going to spend a little bit of time on this one because honestly, this is the biggest idol that we face in our lives. Look at what it says in Proverbs 
chapter 3. It says this, Honor the Lord by giving him the first part of all your income, and he will fill your barns with wheat and barley. God says in Scripture to put him first. Put him first, bless him, and he will bless the rest. Scripture says that money really is that primary test of where our priorities lie. In fact, I always say that your bank account, it, it proves what's most important to you. So, to help us release this grip that we have on money, what God says in Scripture is that we are to learn to tithe. Woo! Man, here we go. The big T word, the church and money. Man, so many people think the church just wants my money. And, and if you think that, you know, honestly, that's just spiritual immaturity. It is. I'm afraid that many people don't understand why, the why behind it. In fact, God tells us why it's important in Deuteronomy. He says this, chapter 14. The purpose, here it is, the purpose of tithing, is to teach you to always put God first in your lives. There it is. You see, God knew we would struggle with our finances, that we would tend to put money on that throne, and he also knows this, when we do that, we tend to think that everything belongs to us, right? And we live in life when finances, when our money is, is first and primary in our life, and we idolize it, man, what we begin to be is we're selfish, and we're childish with it, and we let it control us. So that brings me to the greatest illustration of all time. Since we're talking about tithing and placing God first, I declare today to be Skittle Sunday. Are you excited about Skittle Sunday? Turn to your neighbor, give him a high five, and said, I've been waiting for this day to happen. Go ahead, turn to him, give him a high five. It is Skittle Sunday. What I'm going to do is I'm inviting our ushers. They're going to come forward, and they are going to give you a Skittle little bag. Now, here's your one rule. Do not open it until I tell you to. Do not open your bag of Skittles until I tell you to. What I'm going to do is I'm going to share a little story with you, okay? So, when the girls were little, every Friday after school, I used to take the girls to get a snack. And let's say that during one of these trips, Abby picks out a large king-size bag of Skittles. Not the little one, not the medium, but the big king-size. And let's say I looked at my precious little Abby, five years old, and I asked her to let me have some of the Skittles. And what does she do? She takes it, she grabs it, she looks at me as though I have asked her to donate a kidney. Do you know what I'm talking about? You know this happens when you have little kids, right? But what she doesn't understand is that she needs to give me some Skittles because she has forgotten a few things. Here's what she has forgotten. She has forgotten that I have provided them. I am the man. I am the source. I am the king of the McElrath Castle when Shannon is at work. But, <laughs> right, whether or not she chooses to give me some Skittles might determine whether or not she ever sees another Skittle again in her life, right? She also forgot, I don't need them. I mean, I'm not a rich man, but I can afford Skittles. In fact, I can buy my own. I could go to Sam's. I could buy the big boxes of Skittles. I could fill up a little, little kiddie pool of Skittles, put on my bathing suit, and swim in it in front of her. Try to get that image out of your head. <laughs> You're welcome. 
I wouldn't do that, but I could. She also forgot I could take them from her if I wanted to. I mean, I, don't, I know I don't look like a strong and powerful man, but I can take Skittles from a little girl. <laughs> she has forgotten all these things. She also forgot she needs to give them to me voluntarily because it will define our relationship. If she's generous to me, what does that do for my attitude towards her? Right? How will I respond? You see, for those of y'all that have been with this church family for a long time, you remember Skittle Sunday. It's been years since I've done this. For those of y'all that are new, this is your first time experiencing it. Welcome to the Ridge. All of these things dealing with Skittle Sunday, they all apply to God. You see, we forget because we get selfish. We forget that God provided everything, that he doesn't actually need it. If he really wanted to, he could take it from us. But what he desires is that we put him first, right? Because he's generous to us, he calls us to be generous back. Giving is part of God's nature. Giving is what he wants to be a part of our nature. And it will define our relationship. And it will prove that he is first in our lives. Now, I want to be generous with you. My mama taught me that I should share. So I'm sharing my Skittles with you today. And here's what I want you to do. I want you to go ahead. You can open them up. And you can go ahead and eat um, some of your Skittles. But I want you to take the very first one. I want you to take it. And I want you to put it aside. Okay? And I want you to place it in the offering basket when you leave this morning. You get to enjoy the 90% that's in the bag. All I'm asking for is 10%. I just want one. And don't pick out the orange because you don't like orange. Don't do that. That's not fair. And don't let it drop on the floor. I don't want to be picking up Skittles or wrappers or anything later on this afternoon. Just take it, put it in your pocket, hold on to it, and place it in the baskets when you leave today. Just let it be a reminder that what we're doing is we're simply giving a portion back of what God has given to me in a way that helps us place God first and on the throne in our lives. That's finances. Number two. Let's move on. I is for interest. Interest. If God is really going to be number one, then it means that I got to place him first in my interests. This means in my fun times, my hobbies, whatever that may be in my life. 1 Corinthians 10, 31 puts it this way. It says, if you do anything, anything, whatever that is in life, whatever you do today, whatever your plans are, whatever your date night is, whatever you're doing with your friends later, whatever those interests and hobbies are, whatever you do, do it all for the glory of God. This way shows that we put God first. Now, how, how does this work exactly? Like, I, I think a good way of putting God first in this area, like how, how do we live that out? It's just by being grateful, right? Just being grateful. Do everything with this attitude of gratitude towards what God has done for you and what God has given to you. So that means that when you're playing pickleball, you know, you may not, be, you may not have the, the greatest game ever. You may be stinking up on the court. But at least at some point during that game, you look up and you're like, God, I'm grateful for this day. I'm grateful for this time. I'm grateful that I have the energy to do this. I'm grateful. Let that be a way of showing God that he's first in that area. Uh, let me give you a way that you can tell whether or not God is first in your interest. What do you talk about the most? What interests you the most? What do you talk about the most? It's amazing what we allow to dominate our conversations, right? What we're interested in, 
you know, baseball season is right on the corner. I'm so excited. Spring training is right now. I'm ready for the Braves. I'm ready to see uh, Jordan Weems at Washington uh, take the mound, too. I'm excited for all of that. Jordan goes to church here. Um, excited about all that. And, and I've talked to a lot of people that are talking about the rules, the new rules, the, the bigger bases, the fact that you can't do the shift anymore, you know, the, the pitch clock, all that kind of stuff. Those of y'all that follow, you know what I'm talking about. And we could probably sit here for an hour and discuss these things, right? How often do your conversations lend itself towards God? How often in your daily conversations and what you talk about at home with other people... How often does it turn towards God? If he's first place in your life, then you will have conversations about him. It will come out. It's going to happen. Let him be first in your interests. Number three for the R is relationships. Finances, interests, relationships. Putting God first might mean choosing the people that we hang out with the most, that we're associated with the most we got to choose them carefully. It's a tough thing to say, but it's true. Proverbs 27 says this. A mirror reflects a man's face, but what he's really like, check this out. What he's really like is shown by the kind of friends that he chooses. So, what do my friends, what are the people that I hang out with, what do they show about God being first? You see, here's the deal. We, we like to look at this as a teenage issue. And, and, and honestly, yes, it affects teenagers and who they hang out with and all this. What I've learned in, in, in my time of ministry is that we don't change a whole lot. It doesn't matter if you're a teenager. It doesn't matter if you're middle-aged, married, single, retired, older, whatever. It doesn't matter. You become like the people you associate with the most. And let me tell you where I've seen this. I've seen so many dynamic Christians fall into the trap of worshiping other things that you would never think would be an issue for them. You would never think that this interest or this hobby or anything would would just draw them that they would ever put this on a throne, but they did. Because who and what they were associating with. This is big when it comes to the relationships. You know, and I think we see this too in the movies and in the shows that we watch so much and we see the relationships that are exemplified on the TVs in front of us and we think that that's what life is like and how those relationships function and how they lead us further away from God. Be careful. Be careful. You got to put him first in your relationships. Choose relationships that will lift you up. It is so much easier to pull someone down than it is to lift them up. Choose relationships carefully. Number four is schedule. Number four is schedules. Put God first with your time, your time and money. I always say that time and money shows what's first in your life. Ephesians 5 says this, make the best use of your time, fully grasp what you know to be the will of God. How do I put God first in my schedule? Two ways. Number one, and these aren't, the, these aren't on your notes. These are just extra. You can write these off to the side if you'd like. Number one, ask God for help, okay? When you wake up in the morning, you, you have a to-do list. We all have a And you might look at God and say, God, I got 15 things I got to do today. There's no way I can get them done. Would you help me? Would you help me determine what's most important? Like, what are those things that you want me to focus on? That puts them first in your time. And honestly, some of the things that we put on our list may not be a part of God's plan. And maybe that's why we're feeling so stressed, so exhausted, 
so anxious all of the time is because we're doing stuff that God never intended for us to do. Put God first in your schedule. Number one is ask him for his help. Number two is make some time for him. Take some time for him. Just 10 minutes, 10, 15 minutes. It doesn't have to be all day. It doesn't have to be a period of time. Just a little bit of time that shows how important he is in your life. You know, just while you're drinking your while you're driving to work, while you're on your lunch break, while you're preparing for bed, just don't fall asleep while you're doing it, okay? Take that time. Even Jesus felt the need to take time and put God first. Be a little more intentional with it. And then the last one, let's look at the last one, is our troubles. When you face a problem, this is a good test. When, when you face a problem, when you have stress or pressure, where do you turn Where do you turn first? God says, turn to me. Turn to me. So many people view God as a last resort. And we say those things. It's like, I've tried everything else. I've gone here. I've done this. I've tried this. I've talked to this person. Might as well try to pray. Might as well ask somebody to pray about it with me. I love this verse in Psalm 46.1. It says, God is our refuge. He wants to be our strength. And he is always ready to help in times of trouble. Truth is, he's just waiting on you and wants your first option, not your last option. Do you want to know a good, surefire way to know if God is really first in your troubles? Here it is. How much do you worry? Right? Because when God is first, you worry less. Worry is a warning light that God is not first in your life. When I start worrying, it means that I am, I am taking on responsibilities that weren't intended for me. And listen, y'all, I am preaching to the choir. If worrying were an Olympic sport, I would gold medal in it, and some of y'all would be on the podium with me, right? We struggle with this. But when I stop, when I remember to stop, and I put God in charge of that area, and I remember that he is big enough, that he wants to be my strength, when I put him on the throne, and I take that worry off, I actually can take a deep breath and relax a little. And that's what God wants. Do I think this is a good list? Finances, interests, relationships, schedules, troubles. But as we close this morning, what do you think? Do you think there's more? Is it possible that we still worship idols today? We might not. We might have a little gold statue on our mantle, but we put our TVs there, don't we? I just think our idols look a little different today. I think it's easy sometimes for us to forget, just like the Israelites did. Forget about God. Forget the God that we serve and turn to other things. Is it possible that we as Christ followers say that we believe that he is Lord, but when it comes to these areas, finances, interests, relationships, when it comes to these other things in life, we don't really show it. These things dominate us. They control us too much. Or if we're honest, maybe there's a problem that's not on this list. There's something else. What is it for you? What area might you need to work on? Maybe God is laying another area on your heart that you need to deal with today, that you need to take off that throne. You see, I hope you're reminded that God's instructions are good. And he says to put him first. And if we do, place him on the throne where he wants to be, where he deserves to be. Life is better.
Let's pray together. God, we come to you this morning admitting that we don't always place you first in our lives. In fact, there are so many things that distract us from following you. So God, help us to open our eyes and just to see the idols that we have and how destructive they can be. God, we pray that you would just help us evaluate, too, what needs to be worked on. God, help us to take a step forward um, with our finances, maybe release that grip that we have on them, or help us to be more grateful for the ways that we have been blessed in our lives. Help us to trim the relationships a little bit, or really start to think about what gets most of our time and effort. Not that we would give up on anyone in our lives, but that we would just realize how, how much... Others can influence us and make good choices with that. God, help us to find time during the day to spend with you, realizing that it's precious to connect with you. And it's amazing to think that you want that time with us. So God, I just pray. I pray everyone in here that's going through a struggle right now, God, that they would turn to you, whatever that trouble may be, that you would not be that last resort, but that you would be on the throne and that you would give the strength that you promised. So God, as we walk out of here this morning, may we never be accused of not living out what we believe. May we be faithful. May we be committed followers of your son, Jesus Christ, who gave his life so that we might live, that we might live now and forevermore. It's in Jesus' name we pray all these things. Amen and amen.